Uh, go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 11. We'll read verses 1 through 3. We'll discuss uh, a little bit of it and, uh, that we talked about last week, and then go to verses 15 through 18. We'll have them up here, um, but we're going to do, do it this way. Um, the middle portion um, that we won't read, we basically read last week in many ways, um, so we're just going to recite a little bit of that um, and go through, but then get to 15 and 18, and then go from there with what God, is, God has on our heart this morning. What we want to talk about is this idea of bad doctrine, right? And we'll see what, where that connects here in a moment. And, and we may not be aware of it, but no doubt all of us at some point in our life, some point in our walk with Christ, has seen, has experienced, has been told, has been tried to be made to believe a some portion of bad doctrine. Right? And we'll explain what that is, what is bad doctrine, what it looks like here in a minute. Um, so we might all have different thoughts about that here in this moment. But I want us to go into this because I think it's something that even at the birth of the early church, that's what we're looking at with Acts, right? We're looking at at the birth of the early church as it begins to kind of diversify itself from, from uh, Judaism and, and set its own path where it begins to, to establish certain things, certain orders, establish churches churches in, in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas that continues to spread into the Gentile nations and things of that nature. We, we see that this is this early church being able to, to grow and be able to flourish. But in Paul's writings and Peter's writings, even in the book of Acts, we see examples of bad doctrine that threatens the health of the body of Christ. And we as individuals, as we as members of the body of Christ, must be aware of bad doctrine when it shows itself, bad teaching when it reveals itself, to be able to call it out, if nothing else, in our own lives, and be able to understand what the Bible says about whatever the issue may be, whatever the topic may be, whatever the doctrinal belief may be, so that we can stand firm on what we believe. My, my fear, and, and, and when I see more than anything, and, and there's great discussion in the church world today about how we're losing our young people, and young people don't want to go to church, and, and this, that, and the other. My, my fear and what we have seen is that many young people are not well-founded in good biblical doctrinal teaching, and when bad doctrine is presented to them, they're easily swayed, right, because they're not deeply rooted. We talked about this morning in Sunday school about how oftentimes we as Christians, we are very shallow. We get in the shallow waters, and that's a fine place. That's a great place. It feels good for much of our life. We can stay there. But, however, we do not get the depth. We do not get the growth. We do not become the people that God wants us to be by staying in those shallow places. We we must go deeper. Amen. Um, so, like I said, we, we, we filled in for Gilbert a little bit this morning, and we, we touched on some of the issues. Um, so, if we're a little short, I've already preached half the sermon earlier, so I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but, but um, you know, and some of y'all that might have heard something... Twice, I said, uh, I mentioned, just bear with me. Um, the Holy Spirit, it's good, second, third, fourth time. Uh, at least I hope I hope you feel that it is, because the Holy Spirit, He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Amen. And I'm thankful, even with the Word, um, that I can read something day in, day out for a week and get something new and fresh out of it that has helped me grow into becoming the man of God that God so desires for me to be. Uh, but Acts chapter 11 is where we're at this morning. We'll read the first three verses, and then we'll read 15 through 18. But this is what the Scripture says. It says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. This is referring back in chapter 10 when he goes into Cornelius' house. And he'll begin to explain that here in a minute. He goes into Cornelius' house. who is a Gentile and he preaches to them and they receive it and they're, they're baptized. And all these wonderful things happen, right? It's revival in essence. And it says that when Peter came to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Right? I, we, I teach my kids. An exclamation mark means... There's power. There's emphasis behind that. They weren't just asking a question. They weren't just making a statement. They were, and many, we could probably describe it as furious about it in, to some extent. 
frustrated about him going into these uncircumcised people, presenting the gospel, sharing a table with them, and going through this process. They're like, you went into these uncircumcised men and ate with them. So then he goes, in the next few verses, he describes what had happened to him. He describes the tablecloth coming down, God presented it to him, and, and giving them these new these instructions to fulfill and to go out to the Gentile people. Him going to uh, Cornelius' house and preaching the gospel. Great things happening. And then we pick up in verse 15. And it says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? It says, when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance life. Amen. Before we get into the meat of the sermon, before we get into the main thought, I, I just want us to understand this. Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Let me read it like this. Then God has also granted to, the gen- to us repentance to life. Amen. I have no Jewish blood in me. I don't. I do not come from that lineage. I cannot trace my, my name, or my title, or my position, whatever it may be. My, my people all the way back into some tribe. I can't trace it back to Moses. I can't trace it to Abraham. I can't do that. David is not one of my, my forefathers, right? I had no claim to this. But I'm thankful in Scripture that he presents this multiple times. We talked about it in Sunday school. But multiple times how he represents and, and gives this new depth, this new understanding of Scripture that God has granted to the Gentiles. Repentance to life. Amen. And I'm thankful for that because that's me. And without that acknowledgement, without that understanding, without that change... None of us would have any reason to be here this morning. This, this building would not have been built. Those Bibles would not have been printed. The things that we do and the songs that we sing and that we enjoy, the, the groups that we love to hear and worship with, would not exist because there would be no reason for them to. But I'm thankful that God has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Amen. And, and what I want us to understand is because that significant fact, that significant fact tells us and shows us that we need to be aware of what we believe, of why we believe it, so that we can then share that with others so that they too could be granted that same repentance to life that God gave to the Gentiles and through the Gentiles to us. Amen? So, first let's talk about the truth about bad doctrine. Okay? What is bad doctrine? I am no way a theologian, but this is a simple definition that I come up with. It is anything that detracts from, distracts from, adds to, or confuses the gospel. That's bad doctrine. I'm not talking about isms, decisions, what you should wear to church, what you should look like when you go to church. That's it. We talked about traditions last week. We're talking about bad doctrine this week, right? Bad doctrine is things that if you that you add to. We always talk Jesus plus something. If it takes Jesus plus something to be saved, that's probably a bad doctrine. It's Jesus plus nothing, right? It's faith alone and Jesus Christ alone, and that's what saves us. It doesn't take Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. So if you've got Jesus plus something, that's a bad doctrine. If you have a doctrine that teaches you that, that you don't have to repent, that everybody's going to heaven, that's a... That's a bad doctrine. If you have a doctrine that teaches you nobody's going to heaven, that's a bad doctrine. If you have a doctrine that is confusing and crazy and you have to do this, that, and the other and have to be perfect, that's a bad doctrine. These are things that have been taught not just recently, but since the conception of the early church. Bad doctrine. Things that detract, distract, add to, or confuses the gospel. 
And the sad reality is, as a minister of the gospel in rural America for 16 years now, 16 years now, um, I have seen, and the thing that I combat more than anything isn't necessarily people's sinfulness. The thing that I struggle with in ministry when trying to reach people is bad doctrine. It's somebody telling them they couldn't be saved. It's somebody telling them they're too far from God. It's somebody saying you have to do this, that, and the other to be saved. And then I go into a house trying to tell somebody about the loving gospel message of Jesus Christ, yet they say, well, so and so told me this. And so and so taught me this. And I've always heard this. I can't be saved. I shouldn't be saved. There's no room for me at the altar. There's no room for me at the church. They don't want me there. Bad doctrine. So what is the risk of bad doctrine? Bad doctrine hinders the moving of the gospel message and impedes those that want to approach it. God's not going to put stumbling blocks in the way of people to get into Jesus. It's not how He works. We see a lot of times in people's life how you know they, they give on every excuse. And more often than not, who gave them those excuses? It wasn't people out in the world. It was somebody from the church that, that provided that excuse through bad, bad doctrine, bad teaching of some kind or some form. And, and there is a danger to bad doctrine. And if we're not careful, bad doctrine is very easy to hear, to see, to experience, to be taught. And the thing is that bad doctrine is oftentimes just one or two tangents away from good doctrine. It's changing one word. Look at the very beginning of time in the Garden of Eden. Jesus, or God told him, he said, if you eat of this truth, thou shalt surely die. What did the devil do? He came and gave bad doctrine. He just changed one word. Thou shalt surely not die. Just tweaked it a little bit and made what was good, life-giving, effective teaching from God Himself and turned it into bad doctrine. Bad doctrine. It's very easy for somebody to say, the Bible tells us if we just repent of our sins, confess our sins, we shall be saved. It's very easy for somebody to say, if you confess your sins and baptize, you shall be saved. Or if you confess your sins and you do this, you shall be saved. Here we see, and what we see the problem with them, the bad doctrine they had, was that you had to be believe in Jesus and be circumcised. That was the bad doctrine they had. They believed that Gentiles, some of them didn't even believe Gentiles could be part of it. They said they're unclean and nothing's ever going to make them clean. Nothing's ever changed that. Versus the Jews and the Jews only. That's who Jesus came for. That's the only one that he wants. There was bad doctrine. And that bad doctrine oftentimes would inhibit people then and now from approaching the throne of grace because the enemy would always have that back of the head. Don't you know that this is what it means? Or that you can't. Or that you shouldn't. Or you won't be received. Understand, bad doctrine is dangerous. And the devil will use the words from the Bible more than he would use the words from the world to deceive and to entrap and to destroy and to hurt and to keep people from approaching Christ. Man, we in rural America, we take, for the most part, the Bible very seriously. And if the devil can convince you that the Bible says something that it doesn't say... He will use that against you for ages and ages and ages. Bad doctrine is damaging. Damaging. Not just to the individuals, but to the church, to the kingdom of God. That is why the the apostles, that is why Paul, a great portion of his teachings, of his writings, this man that had all these wonderful things to say, will quote the Philippians 4.13, will quote all these great and nice fluffy things that Paul says, but he mostly talked about bad doctrine. He said, this is the problem. 
He said, I can give you all the good doctrine in the world, but if you're following bad doctrine, it don't mean a hill of beans. I can preach a lot of good sermons. And I hope I do, through the working of the Holy Spirit within me, right? You may say I do, you may say I don't. I don't know. Don't tell me one way or the other, I guess. But I hope I'm effectively doing the working of the Holy Spirit, right? But I can preach all the good doctrine and give you scriptural basis. Yet if you believe deep down in your heart, bad doctrine, there's going to be a barrier there. We talked about barriers last week. There's going to be barriers there for you to receive the message that God is trying to deliver unto you, right? If you've been taught all your life, you've lived inside, you've lived under a rock, saying God's. And you've been taught by mama, and you've been taught by daddy, and you've been taught by people that you respect and, and, and just love, that the sky is green. You can go outside and you can see it, but you believe that it's, you're being deceived in some way because you've been taught this doc- bad doctrine is hard to break. And it's easier to not go into it in the first place than to break it. We need to understand the dangers of bad doctrine, not only for ourselves, but sharing bad doctrine. By sharing bad doctrine. Amen. So we see here. It says, Now the apostles and brethren were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Somebody's always going to hear something. Right? It might just start as a little thing, but somebody's going to hear it. It might just start as somebody saying something off the top of their head, but then it doesn't take long for somebody to think that somebody else believes this and this is the truth. You ever just said, what's the phone the phone call thing or whatever? You just said something stupid, and then three or four people down, they think you were serious about it? Right? We, we need to be careful about how we talk about the Lord, how we talk about the Bible, how we talk about doctrine, because you might be joking or cutting up or not taking it seriously or whatever it may be. And three or four people down the line might say, well, Jacob believes this. Or Mark believes this. Or misunderstand what you're saying or misunderstand the context you're talking in. And then bad doctrine and bad teaching has begun to ebb into somebody's life. And it creates confusion. It creates doubt. And it makes people wonder, what really does that believe? What does it mean? What am I supposed to believe about this? It says, When Peter came to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem, those in the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. The context of that is, their doctrine believed, you just can't do that. You're not supposed to talk to them. They can't be saved. But what happens is, is that oftentimes, and we see in this verse, and this is the, this is the phrase that just stuck with me, is that there's sometimes... We just need to be silent. We need to be silent. Since when they heard these things, right? so the part that we, we didn't read, but you know, to re- reiterate the context of it, Peter goes and comes in Jerusalem. They say, you sat with these uncircumcised people. You ate with them, all these things. You shared a table with them. And he goes through and he, he gives, every, gives the whole story. He gives the testimony of what God done on, top of the, the roof, on the rooftop. How he presented himself three times about this, this um, lowering of the, of the tablecloth with all, all kinds of animals on it. And how God instructed him to kill and to, and to eat. And he says, no, Lord, you know I'm not taking anything common before. And he says, well, what I've made clean don't call common. He goes through that three times. And he says, well, no longer has that been done. That these guys, they, they showed up at my house. And they took me to uh, Cornelius' house. And I obeyed the Lord. He said, go. So I went and preached the gospel. He says all these things happen. The Holy Spirit began to move and to work in a great way in their lives. And, we, and I've seen the, the evidence of their faith in and, and, and essence. And he said, I remember that we talked about, you know, that, that, you know, that, God's, that John baptized us in water, but God's going God's to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. And he said, if, if this can happen to them, then they must be able to. Right? He, he goes through all that. And it says, then, talking to the other ones, call them the Judaizers, call them, you know, with the ones with the bad doctrine, whatever it may be. 
says, when they heard these things, they became silent. Do you realize how powerful of a statement that is? All that that entails. Because let me be honest. As a minister, I don't get silence very often when I'm presenting the gospel to somebody or when I'm trying to discuss some bad doctrine or bad teaching. Usually I will give biblical or scriptural evidence and usually there's a response immediately. Immediately there is this, you know, comeback. Immediately there is this other thing that comes about where somebody says, but this, but what about that? Or wait, what about this scripture or that thing and this thing? There's usually not silence, but we need to understand that there comes a time where we need to be silent when we are dealing with doctrine. Be silent. Other translations say they held their, their peace. They didn't continue on with it. They were, they were silent. Sometimes we need to be silent and just listen for the voice of God. There's times in my life where I've, I've held bad, bad doctrine in my heart. Believed it, thought it was right, thought it was true. Maybe even going back last week, talking about traditions. Held some tradition firmly in my heart. And it took me being silent. And listening to God speak to me, for me to understand that that thing that I previously held is not something I need to hold no any longer, right? To be silent and to to hear the voice of God. So maybe some of those men they hear this and they were silent and let the the Holy Spirit speak to them. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working. It's what the is the theme of all of the Book of Acts, right? So maybe they were allowed the Holy Spirit to to speak to them. Also, time there's there's times when we need to be silent and hear what is is being taught, right? To hear Scripture, to hear what is being presented to us, and understand, is this biblical or is it not? Is this truth or is it not? We as Christians, the Bible says, to be prepared to rightly divide the word of truth. The sad reality is, is that I, as I, in my ministry, I've come across many Christians that are not able to rightly divide, rightly to divine, understand, to comprehend, to know the word of, of truth. They have a surface level understanding. They know a few things, a few good, a few good ideas, or a few good antidotes that we may say or throw out often, but they don't understand Scripture. So how are they be able to tell what's bad doctrine or good doctrine? Guess what? I don't go and eat a bunch of vegetables a lot of times, just fresh out of the garden. I don't go and pick them. We grow a few tomatoes sometimes. We may grow a few green beans. I grew corn growing up, right? But if there's other things. Things that I've never grown before. I go out to the garden, pick them. I don't know what's still early. I don't know what's ripe. And I don't know what's rotten. And I may very well go get something off the vine and throw it in a pot and just throw up because it's nasty and disgusting because I am uneducated and ignorant of the truth of what is good or what is bad according to this. There's a lot of Christians that they go into the grocery store of life and they see something that sounds biblical, or they hear something that sounds biblical, or that sounds nice, or fits their idea of what God would say, of what Christ would say, of what the Bible would say, and they don't comprehend it because they don't divide the word of Scripture rightly, and they end up embracing it and accepting it, and they've swallowed bad doctrine. And it, all it does is make you sick. Spiritually, it makes you sick. And we need, as Christians, young and old, need to be in a better place where we understand the Scriptures and know this is what Scripture says and this is not what Scripture says. 
We have to get to that place. We as parents can't expect our children to have that understanding if we don't seek after that understanding. And we got a lot of parents praying that God would help our children grow, but they're not seeing us grow. A lot of parents praying that my children would understand the Bible, and we don't understand the Bible. A lot of parents praying, Lord, help them know what the Word says, and we don't know what the Word says. We have to get to a point as followers and believers of Christ that we understand what the Bible says. Memorization, or whatever you want to call it, recitation or anything like that, it is something that we just do not value in today's society. Why? Because it's very easy for us just to jump on Google and search something. We don't have to know it because Google knows it for us. You know? And we're getting to a point where we don't even have to have our own ideas because AI is going to have our own ideas for us, right? You know, watch it. But I want us to understand in the Old Testament, when we read about these men of God, these are not just men of God that just got into it and then just took off and did whatever they want to and flew by to see their pants. Men of the Jewish religion would have a large portion of the first five books of the Bible committed to their heart. The first five books, the Torah is what they would call it. We call it first five books, Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It was the Torah. That was their Bible. That was their reading. That was what was important to them from a scriptural basis. They would have the majority of it if not all of it, commit it to their heart. So when Jesus rolls up and quotes Scripture, it's not just because He's divine, it's because from the moment that He is able to hear, to understand, to begin to speak, He is beginning to be taught the Torah. So that when somebody says, hey, this is what Moses said, they can say, no, uh that ain't what Moses said. Because I got that part memorized when I was four years old. I passed that portion of the test and I moved on. We know little Scripture. We know little Scripture. I wish I should have done this. Oh my goodness. My Holy Spirit moving a little late on me, I guess. I wasn't sure. I would love. You ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie? Oh, I would love to have three Scriptures, three biblically sounding statements. Holy Spirit, give it to me. Let's see. I would love to have three biblically sounding statements, two that were Scripture and one that was not. And just quiz you all on which one wasn't the Bible. And this is not me saying it in a mean way. We all ain't going to pass that test. We all ain't going to choose the right thing. Because we don't know and understand Scripture the way we should. That's why we need to be silent sometimes. Allow the Lord to speak to us. Allow Scripture to speak to us. And to hear and to know what is being taught. And whether it be of God or whether it be of of man. Because there's a lot of teachers that claim to be men of God that are presenting a man-made doctrine that sounds good to the flesh but comes into direct conflict with the Spirit of God. Thus, we need to know Scripture. Going on with this, sometimes we need to be silent and stop talking about things we don't know. We just need to stop talking about things... We don't know. I learned from a minister and learned from my own life. My, I don't know what you'd call my mentor pastor. He taught me, he said, preach the gospel, not what you think. Preach the gospel, not what opinion you have. 
If you don't know, say you don't know. That's okay. You all under know, from my testimony, I was raised in church in a way that believed that you could lose your salvation if you stopped believing, if you committed enough sin. That backsliding meant you were backslid out of relationship with God and that you could be saved and still die and go to hell. That's the way I was taught. That's the way I believed all my life. And I hate to say it, but for a good portion of the first part of my ministry, that's what I preached and taught as well. Because of ignorance and lack of desire to know differently. Because this is what my daddy taught, and this is what I'd always heard taught, and this is what I'd always known, and what I'd always understand. So that's what I, I shared with other people. And when, I, when, when God brought me to the realization of the bad doctrine that I had believed, it grieved me deeply thinking of all the people that I had taught them. Deep. And for a season I thought, man, I, I don't even deserve to be in this ministry because of what I have, you know, proselytized for so long. But we need to understand that the world is going to ask you questions. And the world is going to try to confuse you, to get you ensnared and entangled in your own words and present things in ways that are tricky to, to navigate around. And there's sometimes we just need to be silent and not talk about things we don't know. Because we can do more harm opening our mouth and closing. What does Abraham Lincoln say? I'm going to say it wrong. Some of you all know it. It's better to keep your mouth shut and be thoughtful than to open it and to remove all doubt. Okay? There's a lot of people opening their mouths that just need to keep them shut. Even me sometimes on certain topics or issues, right? That I'm not as well-versed of in Scripture that I I should be or want to be. But there's time to be silent, to listen to the voice of God, to hear what is being taught, and just to stop talking about the things we, we do not know or do not readily comprehend. But when we are navigating, a world that is full of bad doctrine. We we need to embrace the gospel of Christ. Embrace the gospel of Christ. I want us to understand that Peter wasn't just like woke up that day and God talked to him through this and he's like, okay, this is a new thing. I'm just going to do whatever. Right? Peter when exposed to this teaching, when confronted about this with Christ, no doubt looked back at his life and compared what he was being told with the experience he had had with Christ. What I'm saying is, he looked back and said, what would Jesus have done in this situation? How would Jesus have handled this? What lessons did Jesus teach me? We talked about this in a little bit in Sunday school, so this is where we're going to overlap when we come up a little bit. But I want us to understand, he said... No doubt, he probably thought, how did Jesus handle relations with the Gentiles? If this is me coming down to me right now and saying, I need to go to the Gentiles, I need to share a table with them, I need to accept them, I need to embrace them, I need to see that which was I always thought was unclean, and see it as worthy of being in relationship with Christ. If all these things are what I mean, what did Jesus say on the issue? How did Jesus talk about that topic? How did Jesus handle that thing? And I go through here and we see several instances. Matthew chapter 8 gives us a story of the Roman centurion. The Roman centurion was a Gentile. He was a Roman centurion. 
He was the people that the Jews would have hated greatly. More than anything, he would have, they would have despised this Roman centurion. Matthew chapter 8, he comes to Jesus at a time and says, Lord, I have a servant. I have a servant that I love, that is dear to me, but he is sick and I hope I'm dying. He says, all you have to do is speak the word and he will be healed. Jesus sees his what? He sees his faith and he works in the Gentiles' life. Right? We can go on. And we can look in Mark chapter 5. It contains the story of Legion. The Bible tells us he goes over to a region called Decapolis. Decapolis was not a Jewish region. It was a Gentile region. Legion was a Gentile filled with demons in a place surrounded by pigs which are seen as unclean. In a graveyard, no less, all these awful things. And it talks about how he comes up to Jesus. And Jesus does what? Jesus casts the demons out of him. And what else does he say? He says, go. You as a Gentile, go. Who do you think? Who do you think he was going to go talk to as a Gentile? He wasn't going to go talk to Jews. He was going to go talk to other Gentiles, right? So Jesus there shows that he wants other Gentiles to know what it is that he is doing. Matthew chapter 15 includes the story of a Canaanite or a, 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 a secret Phoenician woman that goes and she comes up to him and she says, "Lord, I have a daughter that's possessed by a demon. Won't you heal him?" And he goes from from being kind of offhandish, standoffish to teach the disciples a lesson to completely letting her be able to be fulfilled for what she's asked because of her faith. Multiple instances we see how Jesus goes and interacts with the Gentiles, with people not of the Jewish faith, and shows that he is willing to embrace them and on many levels accept them in a way that other Jews would not have. Peter goes and he says, okay, this doctrine has been presented to me. I have my guys back home, the ones that were raised like me, the ones that do the things that I do, the ones that have been around, that know the Torah, that do all these things. They hold this belief. But then I'm being presented this new doctrine. And if I compare it, and I compare the two to what it is I know of what Jesus taught, which one aligns with what Jesus taught? The one that excludes the Gentiles or the one that embraces the Gentiles and welcomes to the table? And he sees the example in Christ's life and his teaching of accepting and embracing the Gentiles just as Jesus would have done the Jews. Peter just didn't decide what he wanted to do on his own. He decided which way to take because he looked at what he knew from the example Christ left. We will be presented new doctrine, different doctrine all the time. It seems as every year or every couple of years, some new teaching gets mainstream. Some new doctrine becomes more in the in the focal point of our of the religious society, and it gets pushed and maybe presented in different ways. Most of the time, it's not new. It's just some old teaching that has been reskinned in some way, fashion, or form. And it's like the apostles, if they were here, they'd be like, "We dealt with that hundreds of thousands of years ago. Why are you still dealing with it again today?" It just looks different. It might sound different. It might have a new skin on it. But if we look at scripture and we look at church history, we'll see it was already dealt with. But it comes back again. And we have to deal with it again. And we have to say which teaching aligns with what I know of Christ, with the example He left behind, with what Scripture teaches me, and that is the doctrine that is good. And if doctrine does not align with Scripture and Christ's teaching, throw it out, get rid of it, spit it out. You don't need it. It's not good for you. All it will do is bring death, confusion, and destruction in your life. Bad doctrine isn't just unnecessary. It's destructive. There's a lot of things in life, in ministry, that we can have 
disagreements on, and we all still be good and growing and healthy Christians. That's the reality, right? But there are some things in life that to believe is to believe a lie from the devil, and it'll just destroy you and destroy the people that you love and hinder you from being effectively doing the ministry of what God desires for you to do. We cannot simply embrace something because it sounds right or feels right. We must assure its alignment to Scripture. This doesn't even this doesn't only apply to new teachings. There are times in my life where I've had to look at old beliefs that I've had, previous doctrines that I've held, and say, Lord, does this hold to my understanding of Scripture today? If it doesn't, help me to find out the truth. If it does, help me to embrace it even stronger than I did yesterday. We are fallible people. And I'm going to be honest with you. We are easily convinced of lies daily. I don't mean to say that in a bad way. It is the truth. If you've lived long on this life, you've been fooled more than once. And if you think the devil can't fool you, he's fooled you into thinking that. Right? He will fool you. And he will do his best to convince you of everything and anything and make you think you're doing the right thing. Bad doctrine sounds a lot like good doctrine. But when we understand and know the Scripture, we can more readily tell the difference between the two. And as Christians, we must be prepared to tell the difference between the two. Let me give this illustration in closing. So, Flanagan, you want to go ahead. There was a time in history um, before we had satellites and all these things, um, before we had GPS, that we relied specifically on maps. I don't know if you know that. Um, Some of you remember that, and some of you don't know what a map is besides what's in your social studies classroom um, that shows uh, North America or the world. Okay? Um, There was times we relied upon maps. And there was times even further back that these maps were not very good maps. Right? Um, I studying through and I looked at this and I couldn't find one that I really liked but um, there was a time where they had a map of California and said it was an island off the Pacific coast um, there's been times where they've had maps of Australia that looked wild maps of different regions and different places where they didn't understand they didn't comprehend maybe they took somebody's word for it maybe they, mom and daddy told them this is what it looked like or this is how you get there this is how you go to this place and they took us back and said this is what the map is and this is what you need to follow you go into a world or in a season or a place in life where, where you're offered a, a map that it, 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 they would tell you very honestly, this map was created hundreds of years ago. But that's what mom and daddy used and it's what everybody else used and what this one, that one used. and We think it's okay. And then you're also presented an option of somebody who's made the journey before. Somebody with great wisdom, with great understanding. Somebody that you may even say has, has beaten the trail and created it. And you're sitting with those options. Somebody says, you can even have this map or you can take this guy. You can either follow this doctrine that maybe has some flaws in it or you can follow this one who's made the trail in the first place. Which do we choose? Which do we follow? Which is the choice that leads us to where we want to be? People have a lot of good intentions, but good intentions don't get us to where we need to be sometimes. And people might mean well when they're trying to educate you or tell you about their interpretation of Scripture, but, but good intentions doesn't always lead people to a healthy relationship with Christ. It takes God, His Word, and the faith in Him. 
that's what we need. That's what he instructs us to follow. Though we get people that come in our life and maybe feel seasons, that we always must be aware, is that person following Christ or following their own doctrine? We must follow what God has established. Christ's teachings above all else. The doctrine that he established. What he made new, what he created. What bad doctrine have you allowed to take hold in your life? What that bad doctrine have you taught? What bad doctrine have you believed just because you, you never were challenged about it? And it's hindering you from taking steps farther in your relationship with Christ. Hindering you from being the witness that God needs you to be. What bad doctrine is out there that impedes people from ever crossing that doorstep because somebody taught them something and they didn't understand themselves. And they stand out there wanting to come in but thinking they're unworthy, unfit, and that God doesn't love them because of bad doctrine. Bad doctrine isn't just something that we should ignore in ourselves, but it's something that we should seek to combat in the world when we see it and teach them to embrace the gospel of Christ. A peculiar sermon no doubt um, but something that is aggressively sought after my heart in this recent season because it grieves me to know that there are those in the harvest that have been given bad doctrine swallowed it and the enemy is just holding that over their head still today it hinders them from being able to completely embrace the gift of Jesus Christ, to accept it, and to know it's for them as well. Whatever it is, if there's something on your heart this morning, the altar's open, you can come and pray. If there's something you struggle with, some bad teaching that's that's been there in the back of your head, that's, that's hindered you from embracing what it is that God has called you to do, come and, come and talk to Him. If there's something that you've shared and now you're grieved because you've shared that in your life in, in times past, know the feeling but God can use you to, to remedy some of those situations and spread the truth of the gospel going forward but whatever it is that you may have on your heart if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you have been told again and again and again and again and again by preachers by deacons by other people by mom and daddy you're too far gone you're too bad you can't be saved you can't be changed nothing's never going to be different that's bad doctrine if he's called you he wants you and he will receive you 